It is the first Sunday of the new year, and we've grown weary of the resolution. Speak for yourself. I love New Year's resolutions. It's one of my favorite things of December, thinking through them, uh, lining them up, trying to alliterate them, uh, making them more fun. Some of you I've talked to and uh, you like them. Some of you, you don't like them. And some of you responded as I've spoken to you over the last month. Some of you have responded in kind of a way that convicted me and, and you said, well, listen, if I know there's something about me that needs to change, I just do that immediately. And uh, that, was, that was one of those things. I was like, well, I'll wait till after Christmas and uh, I'll make that resolve afterwards. Um, at one point, somebody approached me and told me that I was addicted to drinking Mountain Dew. Many of us have been there, especially if you were younger in the 90s and it was very popular and maybe you even drank some Surge back then. It was like the, but somebody approached me, I said, my response was, I'm not addicted to drinking Mountain Dew. I just drink it because it makes me feel better. And at that point, I realized that I was addicted to Mountain Dew. And so that year, I had resolved to not drink Mountain Dew that year. And I didn't. I didn't drink any Mountain Dew that year. But that was, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. It, not drinking Mountain Dew is not my resolution this year. All that being said, thank you for being in church this morning. Um, you've taken a step uh, to become closer with God by being here. It's something that you said, I'm interested um, in what God has for me, what he has to say. I'm interested in serving. And the message simply is titled this morning, Draw Near to God. That's it. Just draw near to God. Now, we're going to walk through. It's not over. That's just a simple title to it. We're going to be in the book of James, if you would like to turn there. James chapter 1 is an overview of the rest of the book of James. So if you're wondering, as you read the book of James, why it seems a little bit redundant, if you can almost go line by line through the book of James and then connect it to a later portion of the book that expounds on that idea. So we're going to do that today. We're going to look at the first portion of the passage, um, and then we're going to expand it later on um, in the later portion where it addresses each one of those things um, with the idea and the focus of drawing near to God. So James gives a 30,000-foot view, basically this broad overview of this book that he writes, really, um, and we'll talk about what type of, of book this is and, and how it reads. A lot of the times we go through the New Testament and we're reading um, Paul's letters or the Gospels, and James's book is a little bit different. But first I'd like to address who James is, because there's a few different names in the Bible that comes up with James. 
right? You first, as you, you read through the New Testament, you might think it's James the disciple, like James and John, these brothers. It's not that guy. Um, he, didn't, he didn't write this book. Um, and then, then you find out, if, if you've, you know, did a little bit of, of study, uh, James um, is the half-brother of Jesus. So this is the biological child of Mary and Joseph. This is the Mary and Joseph. We just came through the Advent season. This is the Mary and Joseph, and this is where it gets really exciting. So James is the, the name that we know this author by. However, Mary and Joseph weren't, she didn't get pregnant again, and, and she wasn't, they didn't look in a baby name book and, and choose the name James, right? Much like a lot of, sometimes we read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's, there'll be a list of names, and we're, we're having trouble, and then we get to a name like James, and it's like, oh man, finally, a, uh, a name I can pronounce. Well, it's for a reason, right? Like, that's not what they originally called him. And uh, he was Jewish. He was a Hebrew. He had a Hebrew name uh, when he grew up. And I'm not Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew. But it was like this. It was like Yaakov is kind of how you pronounce it after me looking it up online and listening to that multiple times. So Yaakov. We would then transliterate it. Sometimes we'll translate it into Jacob, um, into English. So we just came through Advent season. Turn to Matthew chapter number one. This is where it gets fun. So there are a couple Jacobs that we know of throughout Scripture. Not this Jacob, but some other Jacobs. And so Matthew one, verse number two gives Abraham was the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob. Thank you. That was just an early service test. One person passed it. All right, so then we drop down to Matthew 1, verse number 16, and, in, and then it says, and Jacob. awesome, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus and James, Jesus who called, uh, who is called the Messiah. So this is fun. Yaakov, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, was the grandfather of this guy that wrote the book of James. And so James grew up with Jesus. He grew up Jewish. He grew up with the Jewish scriptures. He grew up with the book of Proverbs, and he would have spent time with Jesus. And so as we look into this passage, we're going to see many different little pieces of those portions of scripture that are then given in the book of James. What what we see here is a book really of wisdom or wise sayings that is compiled from James's teachings. So as a uh, leader in the New Testament church, um, these were collected up and it became this book um, that is now in the canon, canon of scripture. 
So as we look into James, keep in mind, it was written um, by a Hebrew man that spent time in both the Hebrew scriptures and spent time uh, with Jesus, his half-brother. So let's take a look at James chapter number 1, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Remember, this is the 30,000-foot view, and then we're going to zoom in. So James 1, verse number 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we're going to, at, you know, at the end of this, we're going to be challenged by three thoughts that I want you to trace uh, throughout the next few minutes. And that's the idea of wisdom humility, and faith. So wisdom, we're going to look for that. We're going to look for humility, and we're going to look for faith. You always got to decide whether or not you're going to share something about your family, and I will. So when we were dating, um, Rose and I would share different ideas and thoughts and we have always talked a lot. And so one day, Rose had pulled out a book, and she said, this is one of my favorite books. I think you should read it. And the title of that book was one word, humility. I think, I'm trying to remember the author. I think Andrew Murray uh, is the author of that. Is that right? Andrew Murray. Just one title, Humility. It couldn't have been more clear. Basically, like, figure this thing out while we're dating. And uh, so, I never did read that book, though. <laughs> I, I, still, uh, I still have yet to read that one. Uh, but um, as we look at these, these passages, we're going to find wisdom, humility, and faith. Um, so, First, let's talk about the search. So in drawing near to God, I want to look at the search. So in this, this passage, um, we find if any of you la lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So then we start to zoom in in James, starting in James 3. And we'll be, we're not going to read straight through this right now, but we're going to make our way through all of these verses. So James 3, verses 13 through 4, verse 11. And we'll give the, uh, the whoever's putting the verses on us, the screen a run for their money this morning. Um, so if we start to see the search, and there's this search for wisdom, a search for God, a search for a greater understanding of our surroundings and where we fit in in this world. And then in James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Right? There's this, there's this search for wisdom. By his good conduct, conduct let him show his works in, in the meekness of wisdom. 
Okay. Verse number 15, uh, then it says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly as it starts to be described. Okay. Well, let's talk about different types of wisdom that we've had throughout our lives. When growing up, you start to learn some new things that are amazing and fantastical, and they just get imprinted into your brain, and sometimes you think they're real. So in second and third and fourth grade, you start to learn these amazing new things, and you then realize as an adult, I don't think that's true. You know, so you might, you know, there's a TV show, you know, smarter than a, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Well, maybe information, but on the wisdom department, there's this wisdom of a third, fourth, and fifth grader that's a little bit off. You know, they start to learn things like, if you swallow your gum, it's going to stay in your tummy for how long? Seven years. Yeah, what? That's insanity. Like, that can't. How about if you're eating a watermelon, make sure you spit out the seeds or a watermelon's going to grow in your stomach? Like, that's the type of, of logic and wisdom. Uh, if you, as you grow up, this might be a little bit before then, but dogs are boys and cats are girls. You just think that growing up. It, it's this weird kid logic um, and and I remember thinking um, historical events happened in black and white and this one is maybe controversial you'll have to go do your own research but we found out that the wall of China was viewable from space and so we all kind of picked that up and we're like that's amazing but it's it's not true either. The wall of China is not view. Have you ever seen a picture of the earth from space? It's, a, it's this little, little dot of blue and some white. Um, so we, we start to gain these pieces of, of knowledge um, that we might think of, but then finally we're like, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that's true. So this, this world that we live in offers multiple ways to search for wisdom and to search for God that seem good. Like they seem like a, some of them. Here's some of them. Pilgrimage, punishment, solitude, starvation, morality, meditation. The wisdom of this world is trying to do things to take steps closer to God. And it's very easy to get to the point where we think those are the actual steps, like the pilgrimage, like I am going, each one of those steps is allowing me to grow closer to God, those physical steps. The idea that uh, meditation or just being in a, a solid, uh, solitary place to do nothing is going to be that thing that pleases God in a way that he's going to look favorably upon us. We have this mixture of self-loathing mixed with religion, and we think this develops into wisdom. And then we start to peel back um, what's offered by Satan in the garden, which is this 
wisdom of, yea, hath God said. There's this secret part of knowledge that you can know, and then it gets real exciting. Then you can go wrap down rabbit holes all over the internet of secret knowledge and groups that have held it throughout the ages and different ways. And the thing is that God doesn't desire to be a secret. Um, having a, taking steps towards him can't be a mystery. And it certainly shouldn't be a mystery to us. The wisdom of this world says that we need to dress to impress. If you're going to a job interview, you shouldn't be a slouch, nor should you. Uh, the wisdom of this world is as you're approaching the king, you should be in a certain position and there should be some certain preparation made. And then we treat religion as the king instead of the actual king. And we, we lose touch with the type of preparation that we are to make. We're ter told to you know, keep our, uh, our record clean, which is kind of a fun one that third graders, if you ever go to the principal's, principal's office and they take a little slip of paper and write, this is going into your permanent record. I went to Eden for elementary school, so I should, yeah, I should walk over and see if they still have my permanent record over there of, uh, of trips. It'll be very, very thin, a very thin uh, folder. Uh, but we have, we have these ideas of our society and what, what it allows us uh, to progress and our holiness, but that's just not what God is asking for. As we take these ideas and we try to apply them to approach our God, they start to break down and then we can get frustrated. And then it's not helping us to draw near to God. So we, these are some of the things, what we know, right? We, so we try to know enough things. We, what we do, we try to act certain ways or wear certain things or act, you know, be a certain kind of person that we then think God is pleased with. Um, what we want. So we go from the search and then what we want sometimes when we're seeking after God is different than just Wanting a relationship with God. A lot of times we want the benefits of a relationship with God. We want the benefits of having friends, right? Um, so we will spend some time working on our relationships because we want the benefits of having a friend. We don't want to be lonely. We want friends that'll do the same things because we don't want to do uh, our activities by ourselves. Um, we'll spend, I, I want a good relationship with my kids, but really sometimes that might mean that I just don't want to be frustrated or annoyed. Uh, so we're seeking after, and it's, it's tough to keep a focus of taking steps towards God. And as we draw near to God, keeping that right motive. So as we draw near to God, we find the search, and we, we find the search uh, for wisdom and knowledge and understanding, but then we hit the snag. So first, there is this part of us that desires God, but then we hit a snag. All right, what's the snag? So we look back 
that scripture. You look at James. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is strong language. For which jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Then we go to chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you can, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The snag. The snag is the fact that as we are taking steps to God, the temptation here is that we take the good gifts and the grace that is given and we then exercise our own passions with the goodness that God has provided. And what that leads to in our life is conflict. It leads to the fact that as each one of us, if we say, hey, God has been so good to us, I'm going to take those good things and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. All of a sudden, we're not getting along. I'm not getting along with my coworkers and my kids and my wife and my extended family. It doesn't work. And so God's calling us back um, to unsnag the snag leads to wrong relationships, wrong motivations, uh, towards drawing near to God. We look at the search and the snag. And lastly, let's take a look at the step. So the step, if we look at 4, verse number 6, but he gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So, 
That is the faith aspect of it. As we take a step towards God, as we say, I am going to decide today um, to look at God in a way that is under the right motivation to gain a relationship with him in a humble way, asking nothing in return. So not trying to change my life for the better, which is a lot of times what draws us to God. But as we take steps to God, um, we want to take those steps in a way where we're just drawing close to him. So as we take that step of faith, God describe, or it's described in this passage that God will take a step towards you. As we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Some of you in this room love to give people hugs, and some of you don't. And whenever you cross each other in the foyer, something happens that represents the opposite of this passage. Somebody is drawing near, and the other person doesn't know what to do. I didn't grow up hugging my dad. And so one time, uh, I think we were dating, my wife was like, why don't you hug your dad for this picture? And she snapped the picture. And that picture is a perfect representation of an awkward hug. <laughs> Neither of us, we didn't know if to go like this or like this or up or down. We didn't know what to do. The look on our face is awkward and it didn't feel right. Now, I also grew up kissing my dad on the cheek before I went to bed. So it wasn't like we had a bad relationship. We just didn't hug. That wasn't in our, you know, our uh, vocabulary of closeness. And uh, so when we tried to hug, it didn't work. And so as we try to get closer to God, understand that he is ready, God is ready to receive that closeness that you desire. So as you draw near to God, he is ready um, to draw near to you. Now, after this, it gives a, an amazing list. Um, and it's tempting to look at that list and make it a checklist of how to draw closer to God. Don't do that. There's not a lot of checklists in the Bible. Um, there's a lot of lists, but not a lot of checklists. Um, our goal in our Christian walk should be being changed, being renewed, but not checking off a list ever. It's very, get you in an unhealthy spot. But there is a list and we'll, we'll take a look at it. Uh, so we look at the gift of the step, that grace. We look at the, the attitude of the, the step in verse number seven, um, which is um, that submission before the Lord. Um, so the gift is that grace, the fact that we even can take a step. Um, that attitude is that submission before God, understanding our position before a holy God. So then we look at the direction, which is towards God, and let's look at the results. Not a checklist, but the results of drawing close to God. And so it starts out, um, and we look at uh, verse number eight, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. 
So cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, we, we, would, we might say today, purify your brain, you double-minded, but um, whenever you make a decision, you never feel it in your head and you always feel it in your chest. Uh, so in your innermost being, um, allow yourself not to have two desires, two passions. Allow yourself to desire God. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now it gets, seemingly goes off the rails. Now it seems like James is asking us to just be sad. So we'll look at it. Uh, be wretched and mourn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, uh, brothers. Uh, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. We're not judges. We're trying to, to do this thing, not judge this thing. So as we look at this list, cleanse your hearts, purify your, uh, or cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched, let your laughter be turned to mourning, humble yourself. Uh, we'll walk through these quickly. Doesn't mean wash your hands, although please wash your hands. We learned that's a good idea over the last four years. Um, as, you, uh, as you cleanse your hands, it's, it's the idea of uh, taking action that is honorable to God. Uh, purify your hearts. It's having the passions that are directed towards God. Then it says, be wretched, mourn, weep. This is where we start to pull out some of Jesus' teachings is very reminiscent of the Beatitudes. The, the blessed are those that. And so we find um, here, be wretched, mourn, let your laughter be turned to mourning. And as you look at your life, be one that before God is willing to be sad at what God is sad about. Be willing to look at your life and understand um, where you're at and where God is, and be okay with living in that space of, yes, I am, I am not great compared to God. That says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. So as you look at these two, the, these two types of wisdom, um, you ever get the giggles at, a, at an inappropriate time? You know, especially when you were young with your sibling, if you had siblings, you just start laughing. And the more people tell you, usually your parents, to stop laughing, the funnier it gets. It's at the least opportune time. It's like when you're at the funeral home or in church. or It's highly inappropriate. And, and really, that's kind of what's being said here. It's like stop enjoying laughing at and rejoicing in these passions that you've had. You need to change that. You shouldn't be laughing at that. You shouldn't be enjoying those things. Allow that laughter to be turned to mourning and the things that you've found joy in in the past, allow that to change. Humble yourself. Then it says, the Lord will exalt you. And then there are some other 
actions that we'll see in our lives as we humble ourselves and get closer to God is we'll change the way that we speak about each other. It just changes. As we humble ourselves, it allows us to see the people around us very differently. It changes the language that we have for those around us. And we're not to judge. We're living this life. It will be judged, but not by us. So at the beginning, I mentioned we'll look at, at three things uh, that we were going to develop. But to change our mind and our heart and our actions, as we change our mind, we seek God's wisdom. What's God's thoughts on our lives? We change our heart where it submits. We find humility before God. And then we change our actions, not following the checklist, but by taking that step towards God as we draw near to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for a time where we can stop and just put a magnifying glass on it. Lord, I thank you then. It's like a mirror that we can see our own hearts. Lord, we can see our, our lives as you see them. Lord, as we uh, do look at our lives in this passage, Lord, I pray that we would be different, that we would change, uh, that we would treat those around us differently, and that we would seek you in a different way this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand, and I will give the benediction for us today. It's simply, may we, as the family of God this year, humbly walk in wisdom as we take steps of faith to draw near to God. Have an amazing week.